86 years, the curse. A lifetime passed after the Red Sox won the World Series in 1918 before they claimed another title in 2004. But since then, no one has won more. Back to full. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Four World Series championships in the last 16 seasons with nine playoff appearances. We expect the Red Sox to contend almost every season. But in the last year or so, Sox fortunes have taken a noticeable turn for the worse. Mookie Betts traded. Chris Sale injured. Alex Cora relieved of his duties. Is this a blip or the beginning of a lengthy rebuild? Let's find out. I'm Dan Schulman, and this is a Swing and a Belt. Swing and a high deep drive in the right field. That one's called to the right. Hunter on the move, racing back. It's over his head. It's gone. It's into the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. Dave O'Brien is a Massachusetts native who has had a distinguished career. He's been the play-by-play voice for both the Braves and Marlins early in his career before moving to ESPN in 2002. At ESPN, Dave has done baseball, college football, college basketball, and since 2007, feeling the lure of his hometown, I can relate, he's called Red Sox games, first on the radio and now on TV. He's also a drinker of fine wine and an all-round good guy. How you doing, Obi? (laughs) Dan, uh, thanks for that. That's absolutely all of that is is true. Uh, I think, and I think at the end of the day, you made me tingle about you know eighty six years and and all that went into that for the Red Sox finally winning a championship. And, and there is a great lore, as you know, uh, just as well as I, coming home and calling your hometown team. It's really special, even if they're you know scuffling as the Red Sox are right now, and and probably figure to be through the balance of this pandemic season. Yeah. It's something, again, we have a lot in common because I came back to do Blue Jays games, my hometown. And looking back at the Blue Jays in 2015 and 16, as good as they were, you could kind of see that the bill was going to have to get paid at some point. Older guys, big contracts. And that's kind of where the Red Sox are now. How strange does it feel for you, for the fan base, to come into a season where the expectations for the Red Sox aren't very high, even though they won the World Series just two years ago? Yeah, it is weird when you think of it so close to probably the greatest Red Sox team ever and 108 wins and ripping through the playoffs the way they did. You know, they ripped through the Yankees. They bested Houston in no time at all and then beat the Dodgers, who had a great team, as you know, in like six games. So none of those series were terribly close. That was a great baseball team. That was a Mookie Betts team. You know, David Price, Chris Sale, all of those guys. This is a different animal now. The expectations are not high in Boston, and that's rare. It's very strange to come into a season where people don't think the Red Sox are very good and, frankly, kind of tune them out a little bit, which I think is is probably going to happen here for a while. That doesn't happen here. The ownership doesn't like it that way. They don't stand for it very long. So my guess is if you look at this as a rebuild, it's going to be a very quick rebuild. We've got a new general manager and a new theology in the scouting department and how pitchers should attack and all of those things. But I think that you know the, the ownership in the end, they're the ones that have driven it to the four championships you talked about and raising the expectations in Boston and indeed all through New England right through the roof. 
Is it an oversimplification, Obi, to say that the reason the Red Sox are where they are now is that ownership demanded Heim Bloom, the new president of the, of the Red Sox, get under the luxury tax? Is this all luxury tax driven? Well, I don't think all of it is. I think a, a great deal of it probably is because that's the goal for this season as much as anything, to be very candid. Red Sox have to get below the luxury tax. They've been above it for so many years, and they want to get payroll flexibility, which they have not had. So, you know, you bring in a Dave Dombrowski and you say to Dave, the checkbook is open. You go ahead and sign anybody you like. Bring anybody in. We're going to win a title. You're going to have to trade away valuable pieces in the minor league system, pitchers that we might want to count on three years from now. We want to win right now. We want another ring. And Dave does it. And then, you know, when things go south, they relieve Dave of his duties and they bring in a high end bloom to rebuild from the minor league system. That was a big part of it. Injuries were too, though. You know, Chris Sale wasn't supposed to be hurt. Eduardo Rodriguez wasn't supposed to have COVID and then a heart issue that caused him to leave the ball club until next year. The trade of Mookie Betts, I think, was bound to happen. You've talked about it. We've talked about it a million times that if you want to get below that luxury tax, you can't have Mookie Betts on your roster. David Price had to go as well. Those are guys that help this organization win and be at the highest level you can be in baseball for several years. And now they're all gone and everyone's kind of looking at each other like, well, what do we do now? It's a very odd place for the Red Sox to be in. But I think there are a lot of roads to why the Red Sox got to this today. Let's tackle the Mookie Betts issue a little bit because he is without question one of the three or four best players in the game and also was the heart and soul of the franchise in Boston. Great in the city, just everything that you could ever want. When you first started thinking or hearing, hey, they might have to trade Mookie Betts to get under the luxury tax, as you just said now, did it seem like a distinct possibility at the beginning or were you like, there's somebody else they can trade? There's no way they would ever trade Mookie. That's exactly what I thought. I figured, you know, they've got all the money that anyone needs to spend, right? They're the Red Sox. It's 38,000 fans a night, massive, massive dollars pouring in. They'll figure this out. They'll have to dump a couple of other guys. But as it got deeper and deeper and you began to hear stories about, well, the Red Sox have floated an offer for $300 million in 10 years. And he said no. Well, if you're saying no to 300 million, you are determined to test the market. So that's what came out there. We thought Mookie loved Boston. We thought he, and I still think he really enjoyed playing there. Clearly, he's fallen in love with 75 degrees and sunny every day out there in Los Angeles. Hard not to, I guess, but we thought he really enjoyed it here. And he had long standing relationships. He was a player developed in the Red Sox system. We thought that would carry the day. It didn't in the end, as is typically the case. It comes down to the almighty dollar and those two extra years made the biggest difference. When you really break it down, the Red Sox offered him exactly what the Dodgers did, only the Dodgers gave him two more years. That's pretty much how the math works out. But he wanted to go. And when I look at Mookie now and you know the throw he made the other night in L.A. and everyone's seen that, you know we saw that on a weekly basis it felt like, I miss him more defensively than with the bat because he'd make six or seven plays a week and you know Fenway and how difficult right field is. It's impossible unless you're a good outfielder. You can really embarrass yourself. He made six or seven plays a week that nobody else made. And they're not going to make any more. And that's the great void that I feel with Mookie gone. Aside from the fact he's an absolutely stupendous individual. He's just a great kid. Yeah, he is. If you were at the time of the trade, Obi, if you were to break down the fan base into this percentage of the fans 
got it. He had been offered a contract. He didn't sign. He was going to be a free agent. They had to get in under the luxury tax. So this percentage of the fans was okay with it, given the circumstances. And this percentage of the fans was absolutely out of their minds, angry that they traded Mookie Betts. How would you break it down between those two groups? Well, that's an interesting question, Dan, because I thought at the time, right before the deal was made, 75% of Red Sox nation got it. They understood he wasn't coming back. It's too much money in their eyes. God bless him. Let him go to Los Angeles. The moment the trade was made, it flipped and people got really angry about it. And I think it's kind of a New England thing, but they got angry because there was no chance he was coming back. I think as long as there was an opportunity, he might actually come back to Boston after 2020. Then they were okay with the way things went. But the moment the ink hit the paper, I think people really got angry about it all over New England, at least for a couple of days. You know, it wasn't the most important thing in their lives, nor it should be this day and age. But people were pretty angry. Do people blame Heim Bloom or do they just see him as executing the wishes of ownership? That's it. You know, they give him that pass. And, uh, you know, he came in knowing he was going to have to do it that he was under orders to do it if Mookie wasn't going to return. And so he did his job. And I think he did pretty well. I mean, when you look at Alex Verdugo, who's playing regularly for us now, who was a top prospect, Jeter Downs, who was a top prospect, and we're going to get a look at him. I mean, I think the return was pretty darn good. It's not Mookie Betts good, but these guys have an opportunity to be key guys for the Red Sox in the next few years. You can never judge, as we all know, a trade like this until several years down the line. I fully expect Mookie to still be an all-star player for many, many years and a great player. But these guys have an opportunity to really make a dent with the Red Sox. Let's talk Chris Sale because uh, I think if you're a baseball fan, Chris Sale has to be one of your favorite players to watch or pitchers to watch, even if he pitches for a team (laughs) that you don't like that's beating up on your team. And a lot of my, you know, a lot of the listeners to the podcast are here in Canada. Obviously, I'm a Blue Jay guy and Chris Sale, I mean, he's almost unhittable at times. But now he's out this year, Tommy John surgery. And there were health issues last year as well. He's still got, I think, I think this is the first year of the new five-year deal. And again, if he's not one of your favorite pitchers in baseball, uh, you know, try another sport because he, that, that's how much fun he is to watch. And that's how good he is. But is there concern even beyond the Tommy John starting next year? Is there concern about whether he'll ever be the Chris Sale that we've all watched over the last eight, nine years again? Well, I guess that's always in there. I haven't heard a medical personnel. Uh, I haven't heard anybody in the front office say that they don't expect Chris to be. I, the, the reason for the fall off, obviously, was the injury. But you know, one thing I think you're referring to, too, is he has such a violent delivery And it was just a matter of time before he was going to have an arm injury. And that happened. And now he's coming back from Tommy John. And what are we going to get? Well, I think the feeling is with a lot of guys coming back from Tommy John, they're actually stronger. They can actually hump it up even more. So in his case, 97, 98, he doesn't need to go any more than that. He doesn't have to come back stronger. He just has to come back Chris Sale previous to the injury, like a year before the injury. And I, I think that right now, from everything I've heard, the expectation is he's going to come back fully healthy. The one thing we know about him is that he will work his tail off. You know, he is going to get after it. He's not going to sit around and gain 60 pounds. We know that because he only weighs about 170 anyway. Uh, I think he'll be fine. It's such a difference maker when you have a guy like that, isn't it? When when you have a true ace, not just a number one, because 
I don't know if you agree with, with me on this. I think there's a major difference between an ace and a number one. Just because you put a, a one next to a guy and say, well, you're the first guy to start in the series or opening day doesn't mean you're Nolan Ryan. You know, it, it doesn't mean that you're Pedro Martinez. This guy is like that. And there's a big gap there, I think. Yeah, absolutely agree. So we're talking about expectations diminished. It doesn't look like a vintage Red Sox team. The pitching staff is not great this year. But looking forward, we know they'll have the resources. We know they have some key parts and guys like Bogarts and Devers. What is the farm system like? How soon do you expect some you know major parts to be coming from the system to help out? Yeah, that's a big question. I think you know when you hire Dave Dombrowski, what you're saying is, Go ahead and make trades, and that means your trades are coming probably from your minor league, not your major league roster, and Dave did that. So I don't think there's a whole lot coming up there, but one thing about this ownership group is they really like to win. They like to win championships. They've done an incredible job doing that, and that means they're willing to spend, and if that means they have to get these pieces from free agency. Look, I I think the everyday lineup, is very good. I think when you look at Toronto and you look at Boston, nobody wants to pitch against those lineups for the next several years. You know, obviously the guys that the Blue Jays have who are not even anywhere near their prime yet. And then you've got guys like Xander Bogarts with the Red Sox and Rafi Devers. They're just getting into their best years. And, you know, we still have J.D. Martinez. And, and it is a possibility J.D. might not be here a year from now. I happen to believe he will be, that he won't opt out. But I think that he's going to be a guy we can rely on. That, the middle of that lineup is really, really good. It's going to come back to spending money on pitching. But they're not going to be able to develop it from within the system, not right away. It's, this is why High and Bloom was brought in, to build a farm system. That's going to take several years for Haim to do that. He did a great job in Tampa Bay doing that. That's what the Red Sox want, too. They don't want to have to keep going purchasing starting pitching every couple of years. But for a while, I think 21, 22, 23, if the Sox want to be championship competitive, they are going to have to go back into the market again. Alex Cora, we haven't really talked about him yet. Obviously relieved of his duties in the winter after the the cheating scandal, suspended for a year, relieved first and then suspended for a year. Do you think there's a chance that Alex Cora is managing the Boston Red Sox, that they bring him back in 2021? I really do. And my opinion, and this is just my opinion, Dan, no one has sat me down and said, you can quote me on this, he's returning. But in my opinion, there's a very good chance that Alex Cora returns as the manager of the Red Sox. This is nothing to disparage the work of Ron Renicky that he's done or would do. It all comes down to their fondness for this guy and what a great job he did in 2018, a better job than people realize in 2019. Look at a guy like Rafael Devers. Look at a guy like Eduardo Rodriguez. The impact he made on these players was exceptional. And it was his personality, his communication, his warmth, his, his ability to, to smartly communicate what those guys needed to get better and how he kept them at a certain level. That's rare. I think Terry Francona was a guy who did that in Boston and does it in Cleveland, you know, Great manager, but great with the day-to-day of the office. And Alex Cora was that guy. I think the feeling around here is he's paying his dues. He made a mistake. He's going to pay his penance. And then he'll return somewhere as a manager. And why not Boston? Because he's got so many people in the front office and the ownership who admire and respect him and players who would love to see him back. That's you know, Ron Renick, he's a terrific baseball man. It has nothing to do with Ron. 
This is how they feel about Alex Cora. So I'll put it this way. I would be the least surprised guy in the room if he returned. Hmm. Yeah, I think there's a distinct possibility. He is without question one of the best uh, in baseball. Last thing, give us a little peek behind the Nesson curtain. Like Buck Martinez and myself with the Blue Jays, you and Jerry Remy and Dennis Eckersley are doing all 60 games from the studio. You're not at the ballpark. How's that going, and, and how strange does it all feel? Well, it's a lot less pretty behind the Nesson curtain than it is in front of it, that's for sure. I can <laughs> tell you that. I don't think anybody wants to be peeking, but it's been strange. It's been where you and I were talking about it a bit before we came on and how unusual it is to be disconnected, and I think that's the biggest thing. We've done as good a job as you can do of making it sound normal, and I know you guys have too, and a lot of places have. A lot of fans are telling us, we think you're at the ballpark. Well, but we're six miles away. And when you get to the ballpark and you go right into the manager's office, you go to the batting cage, spend some time with, with a player or two, that's gold. That stuff is really, really valuable in our broadcast lives. And I think it makes a difference on the air. And that's that's a huge void we can't fill right now. But we're doing as well as we can. We've got giant monitors everywhere. We've got all the help you could possibly need. But it does feel sterile. It feels disconnected. It's not why you and I signed up to do this. We love being at the event. We love being at the ballpark. I miss the fans. I miss the sound of actual human beings responding to what a great player does on the field. I want that back. Yeah, I miss going to Fenway. I'm sure you miss walking around downtown Toronto on a beautiful summer day. And listen, hopefully in 2021, I don't know what the new normal will be, but hopefully it's closer to the old normal than what we're getting right now, we can all get back to it because uh, at the heart of it all, we're all just baseball fans, right? We're no different than anybody else. We just want to be at the game and, and see it the way it's meant to be played. That's absolutely true. And, and I also enjoy traveling so much. And Toronto is one of my top three cities in the American League to visit. We love getting to Toronto three times a year. I love the restaurants. The people are amazing. It's just a, a great stop for us. One of our favorite hotels in the entire league. So at the end of the day, yeah, we want to get back and and have a normal, we all do in all of our lives, but in baseball, it's routine, it's habit, and we're missing that. Do you drink Canadian wine when you're in Toronto? I drink any wine that's on the menu, as you know <laughs> darn well, but I mean, uh, if, if I can get a great bottle of Canadian wine, it's on my list. You'd have to pump me a couple of uh, offerings there, because right now right. I'm like, I'm into my, my Cabernets and a couple of decent French wines, and I could certainly get those in Toronto. All right. Rain check for, for 2021. Let, let's hope we're all back to normal business by then. Obi, I appreciate it. Glad you and your family are doing well. Stay safe uh, and enjoy the rest of the season with the Red Sox. Great to hear from you, Dan. Cheers. So there you have it. An atypical year for the Red Sox in every respect. Will it be a year until they're good again and contending and pushing the Yankees and competing for championships? Or given some of the salaries they may still have to move and the farm system not really being ready to contribute yet, is there a window there for a team like, say, the Blue Jays to sneak in for a few years before the Red Sox get back to being one of the most powerful teams in baseball? We'll find out. Thanks for listening as always. Christian Ryan is the producer of A Swing and a Belt. I'm Dan Schulman. Stay safe, and we'll see you again next time.